This is the CineSnob Podcast. Welcome to episode 149 of the CineSnob Podcast. I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Cody, um, obviously the biggest news of today and probably um, of the year so far is uh, Kobe Bryant died today. Yeah, it's it's been a bit of a crazy afternoon uh, following the news. Um, if you want to tie kind of, that into movies, he's an Oscar winner. but He, he is, yeah. But that was last year, right, I think? Uh, uh, 2018 is when he won the award. Oh, okay. So two years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's been, uh, I, I, I got m- multiple messages at the same time at, uh, when there was the TMZ report. And I mean, there once was a day where TMZ reports were not, uh, were not always the most accurate. And these days they're almost never wrong. And so, um, yeah, I was, it was, it was interesting to watch that all unfold. And then of course, more details coming out. It's just, it's crazy, man. I, we were talking about this, but Seems like maybe the biggest, um, like the biggest death of an athlete maybe ever. Uh, certainly yeah. felt like one of the biggest pop culture losses ever as well. Yeah, well, I don't know about ever, but it is kind of the. Um, I don't know. That's hard to say because I wasn't around for Elvis and the Michael Jackson thing was massive. Yeah, yeah. But at that point, he was like way past his prime, and I mean, Kobe had retired already. Um, but you know, it's, it was only uh, three years ago now. He mm-hmm. retired the same year uh, Duncan did, though he didn't. Duncan didn't have the farewell like uh, Kobe did. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, um, you know, to me personally, there's a complicated legacy of of his. I won't get into that right now. But um, you know, obviously, as a Spurs fan, I was never a fan of of his. But um, the real tragedy, I think, is that his daughter was on board, you know. Um, yeah, that was something that broke a little later in the day, which was just super shitty to hear um, Yeah, in the midst of all of it. Yeah, I mean, you know, the guy himself has a complicated legacy. Um, but, uh, you know, the kid doesn't. So um, that's one of the things that sucks about this whole thing. And, and you know, uh, going back to your TMZ comment, like, the sheriff uh, of L.A. County chided TMZ for reporting the, the news. And right. It's something that I don't I don't get. <laughs> like TMZ, for for all their like paparazzi on the street, um, you know, antics you see on the TV show and shit like they're right on top of that celebrity news. Like when someone dies, like, I mean, that's that's one of the best news sources in the country for something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh the, the fact of the matter is they don't know that without some sort of first responder giving them that information anyway. Right. You know, yeah, they're, they're passing the information along. They're not, I don't, you know, I, I mean, I don't think that they're sleuthing waiting for that kind of thing. You know, I mean, there's always, there's always um, in the news gathering business, there's always rumors that come out there that you have to, you know, vet out before you can publish them. But, you know, if they have from a law enforcement official, more than likely where they got it, that that's the person who's on the who's on that helicopter. Then, I mean, it's just news. I mean, it's you know, yeah. I, I, and the thing about like celebrities dying, I don't think there is like a, a moratorium on when you're allowed to announce it. I mean, it's just one of those things that it's going to come out there. You know, it's mm-hmm. going to be. You know, you've got Kobe Bryant, who's probably the biggest basketball star uh, of the two thousands. 
I yeah. would say. And and still relevant too. Just I mean, just last night LeBron passed him mm-hmm. on the points list and and so he I mean, he never left relevancy and there was a there was a lot of big talk about, you know, what he was doing after his basketball career. Obviously he he was moving into multimedia and won an Oscar a couple of years ago for the short film Dear Basketball. Um, doing a lot of work with his daughter uh, in the coaching sphere I, and stuff like that. I do, so. I do have to say, um, you know, not to be speak ill of the dead, but some of that, some of his stuff was weird as shit. Like uh, he wrote, he created some like wizard series mm-hmm. that was like a, a Harry Potter knockoff with basketball. I don't I mean, remember it was, that. It was, it, it's like a children's book series. I don't think he wrote anything, but he came up with the concept and like, I can't remember who ran the profile a couple years ago. I read it, uh, a long, lengthy profile of his of his like post basketball work, and that was one of the weirdest things I'd ever read. Was this this universe he came up with? It's like Weisenard or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's um, yeah. I mean, this is a guy that was that was going to be, um, you know, a big Hollywood player. I, I assume with stuff like that, and and probably. You know, his work will continue, whatever he was working on will continue to move on and be adapted because it's, you know, it's a tragedy that he's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's it's a weird, it's one of those weird things where you're like, shit, this guy was, like, this guy's like six months older than me, you know, mm-hmm. obviously accomplished a little more than I have. But. Oh, you think? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this is a guy whose career I followed the entire time. I mean... Here's a guy that was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets version 1.0 and traded to the Lakers for Vlade Divac, you know, like, and then he becomes this NBA legend and Vlade Divac smoked, I guess. Wasn't that I think he's the, he's the GM of the Kings now, I think. So, you know. No, that's fine. I mean, I, I don't, I, I, Vlade Divac was a great player too, but just yeah. to know that like, you know, that that was the, the impetus of this all. And, you know, there was all those years of battles with the Spurs. I mean, I fucking hated watching that guy play the Spurs because it was never a good sign. Um, like, he went... Uh, I was at the very last game of the Alamo Dome where he, like, went off and uh, and ended... Or almost ended the, that playoff run of the Spurs. I think that was 2002. Yeah. Um, it was never, never a fan of him as a basketball player because of that, but you know, it, it's hard to deny he's one of the, the greatest ever play to the greatest ever play. Yeah. And maybe like the thing I think about him the most when I think about him as a player is just maybe the most intense athlete I've ever seen <laughs> just in terms of just like, if, like, if you want to talk about an athlete who had a killer instinct, man, that guy, when he was, when he was do- uh, zoned and uh, zoned in and dialed in and. He yeah, was just unstop and unstoppably intense and scary, and you know, I of course I hated the Lakers as well, but I, I I always respected Kobe in a way that maybe I didn't respect other players from other teams that I hated. So, um, yeah, well, no, he, it's it's just yeah, it's just super sad. He had that uh, kind of sociopathic uh, reputation of like he would turn himself off. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those? Yes, rumors? I remember that. Yep, yep. And I and I don't know if it ever really played out to be true, but there was that that um, you know whenever his criticism would come up, those couple was it two years the Lakers missed the playoffs after Shaq left. Mm. I don't remember. What, it was it was at least one season. Yeah. Um. And and 
the speculation was that he had turned himself off to try to, to, uh, you know, resist criticism that he had would, would shoot too much, which he did shoot way too much, obviously. Mm -hmm. But, uh, it's, it's weird stories like that. And then that I was reminded, I was reading some stuff today about his final game and it was such a Kobe game. You know, I mean, he was pretty hobbled by injuries in his last couple seasons, Mm-hmm. Didn't play a lot, but that final game, they just kept feeding him and he scored 60 points mm-hmm. on 50 shots, <laughs> <laughs> which is like the most Kobe like stat line ever. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, again, I, I was never a fan, never would be a fan, but you know, you got to respect that this guy was one of the best ever, um, you know, and that was he and the, he and Tim Duncan traded, you know, Basically, there's 10 titles between the two of them in from 99 to 2014. So it's, uh, you know, it was always a big rivalry there. Um, God, I mean, I, I hated those teams so much. God, I hated those teams so much. But um, yeah, anyway. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a, again, it's a weird thing to think about because this guy like was just just in the public eye and then now he's dead in a you know really tragic accident um you know not not really anything that could have been prevented other than not getting on a helicopter you know it's just one of those things it's not like a you know a, a, an overdose or whatever other nonsense usually happens to celebrities yeah or musicians well, but and i think again it's just it's just one of those i uh, super you know, every every so often these kinds of things happen that just feel like like you like just watching coverage of it and it feeling surreal, and I definitely think this falls under that uh, falls under that umbrella for sure. Yeah, um, I mean, I saw it on my way home. I'd gone to the store and I saw someone post like a Facebook alert came up about it, like someone saying that they hoped it was a hoax. And then I looked at TMZ and I was like, oh, shit, it really happened. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I, as far as I'm concerned, TMZ is the authority on this sort of thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And then it all kind of trickled in later. And yeah, it, it's, it's again, one of those real surreal things to watch real time unfold. Um, and I, again, I don't think there's been anything this big since Michael Jackson. No, I don't think so either. I think that that was probably the the last time, you know, where you can flip on any channel and they're talking about a celebrity passing away mm-hmm. I, I can't think of an i can't think of any others i can't either um and you know the, the there's been the tributes already the um the one that's kind of made the the biggest um um you know news in the nba was the spurs and raptors each taking a uh, 24 second clock uh shot clock violation to mm-hmm. start their game today you know as a tribute to his jersey number 24 mm-hmm. um i don't i I heard about canceling games, but I don't know that, that there have been any canceled. Um, I yeah, I haven't I haven't seen reports of any because I know because today there were like four afternoon games or something like that. The Spurs being one of them, and uh, and there was some speculation that they may have canceled the evening games. But I know that at least for these, um, I, I think there's only one game that's not underway yet at eight o'clock. So I'm assuming that one is if the rest of them went on, this is going to go on to that one. Yeah. And the, the Grammys are tonight at the Staples center mm-hmm. and there's a giant memorial being, you know, memorial crowd out in front for Kobe. So it's, yeah, it's a pretty big deal. 
Um, yeah, so I don't know if there's anything else to add to this. It's kind of a downer way to start uh, a, a movie a movie podcast, but and you know, um, it's it's um, it's uh, interesting to me how like the you know the there are certain stars that can transcend everything mm-hmm. and i'm thinking like lebron james is obviously the other nba star that currently that can do that and and michael jordan before kobe like is there still going to be that going forward do you think cuz i can't think of anybody new right now that's that way that's going to be like a you know the guy that can show up at the kids choice awards or whatever yeah, you know, I I don't. There's not anyone right now that can that that feels like they can transcend pop culture. And I honestly, uh, I honestly think that, and maybe this is wrong, but I think that a lot of that was because of you had these high school phenoms like, uh, you know, like Kobe um, or like LeBron who, mm-hmm. who weren't going to college. So from from the time that they're you know 15 or 16 to the time that they're in the NBA, they're you know they're they're not only connecting to kids on that on in teenagers and young adults on that level because they're the same age as them but um but but I think that that just that, that that's a different level of like they're in the atmosphere type of thing you know there's great there's great players who I think are going to be all timers like Luka Doncic is incredible and you know Zion Williamson is is maybe the closest to having that phenom status but if even if you look at someone like Anthony Davis, who was supposed to be that, mm-hmm. and, and is you know one of the best out there, or like uh, Antetokounmpo, um, Giannis, uh, you know, even with him, I don't think you're like you said they would show up the, at the Kids' Choice well, Awards or. Well, they're... I mean, yeah, I mean, even Kawhi Leonard or uh, um, uh, what's uh, Kevin Durant? Like they're not charismatic dudes. Right. Like, they I mean, I'm sure they have some charisma, but they're not the kind of people that are going to show up. Like, fucking Kobe Bryant was on The Talk, if you know what The Talk is. It's like the Sharon Osbourne talk show that's on CBS Afternoons. It's like, why? Like, could you ever imagine any other NBA player, a current NBA player in that position mm-hmm. for, for whatever reason that, that it would come off, you know, smoothly in it? And yeah, it's, it's, I'm curious about that just because if maybe he's the last one of the last of that sort of generation of um, or last of that type of person. I don't know. Anyway, anything else to add before we move on? No, no, I think we we effectively covered it. It's just a, a just again, surreal to watch and also just, you know, super sad as well. Yeah. All right, let's go ahead and move on to reviews. Here are this week's reviews. First up this week, we have The Gentleman. Weed. Bush. Skunkamola. White Widow Super Cheese. (laughs) It's the new gold rush. This is the thin end of a very fat wedge, sir. If it's such a fat wedge, why don't you keep it? See, I've developed a reputation as a man who came up the hard way. You could say that there's blood on these pretty white hands. But in the new business, once legal and under the jurisdiction of the respectable umbrella of ministerial legitimacy, an enterprise like this will need a face with a clean past, which sadly, I do not possess. Retirement doesn't sound so bad. 
Long walks in the countryside, pruning roses with my better half, raising some cubs. I've earned it. I didn't have um, high hopes heading into this movie, Cody. Yeah. Being a January um, Guy Ritchie film. But I came out of it pleasantly surprised, and I think you did too. Uh, so what did you think of The Gentleman? Yeah, I, I did. I, You know, it's been interesting to to see the trajectory of, of Guy Ritchie because I, it felt like early on in his career um, – he had he was he was beginning to you know had the beginnings of a filmmaker that had a very specific style and energy and you know really uh was interested in character development and developing interesting characters and uh uh you know and and then something weird happened where i don't i i don't really know what it was but he his career the past decade has been super weird um and um and you know None weirder than him taking on Aladdin uh, last year, um, <laughs> yeah. which, which I think, which, which I didn't mind. I just it's a weird choice for it. It's, it's a weird choice, you know. When you think about guy, so when I think about Guy Ritchie, the movie that comes to mind is Snatch, which is a movie I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know that that couldn't be any further from you know what. Aladdin was so it, you know it, it's a weird choice it was a weird choice though I guess you can understand that he did the Sherlock Holmes movies and maybe they thought he had that you know mass appeal but um anyway um I think the first thing that when I saw about the gentleman was I was like oh man this this is a pretty stacked cast and uh what you get is a bunch of really strong actors and you know you get and, and interesting that he was working with American actors and making them American uh characters um so Matthew McConaughey um Charlie Hunnam, um, uh, as well as Jeremy Strong from Succession, uh, Colin Farrell, and then um, Hugh Grant, who I'll get into in a minute. But, uh, you know, a, a really stacked cast of, of, of strong actors that, um, that I think really get to have a lot of fun um, throughout the movie. I, I think that the one thing that I that, – you know, the first good thing I can say about it is that I really think that the script is strong in terms of dialogue. I think that the story – uh, itself is fine. I, I don't. I don't think that it's it's anything too crazy. Um, you know, living in the. Uh, you know, it essentially takes place in the world of like a marijuana kingpin. Um, mm-hmm. and, Played by uh, Matthew McConaughey, which is kind of on the nose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a little bit in the lungs. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, it, you know, it, it takes place in that world. I, you know, one thing I will say about the narrative, though, is I do like the way I do like the narrative device that they use, which is essentially uh, Hugh Grant's character showing up at Charlie Hunnam's um, place um, and recounting a story to him, serving as a narrator of sorts that kind of gets into uh, events from the past that kind of bring the audience up to date on everything that's going on. I do like that narrative device and I do think that it pays off decently. However, there's some stuff within the narrative that I just did. I don't think, you know, there's some like fake examples of things going on or exaggerations that come from Hugh Grant's uh, narrative uh, narrator character that I, I don't know work um, just from a narrative standpoint. Well, it's like, it's a screenplay, right? That he's recounting, like he's pitching the, the screenplay. Essentially. Yeah. 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 And so, you know, I, I like the interview aspect, or not the interview, but the conversational aspect that kind of allows the movie to play out. Um, I think that uh, my favorite part of the movie is uh, is uh, Hugh Grant's character, um, who I think is really, really fun um, in the movie. 
um, playing kind of a, I mean, it's a very over the top and, and showy character that's, uh, um, I guess it, with an ambiguous sexuality, I, I guess it's really not that ambiguous, but, um, <laughs> but, but played off for, for, for some funny ways. I, I do think that, you know, I, I, I that, uh, you know, Charlie Hunnam is, a, is an interesting actor for me because I feel like sometimes Charlie Hunnam is not all that great. Um, and I think that him playing a sub dude, kind of like the straight man in this movie, I think kind of works decently for him. Um, I think that I was talking about the script being pretty good. I do think that, you know, it, it, it has like touches and flares of like Guy Ritchie, um, you know, really clever uh, dialogue. There's there's a there's a funny joke um, that I liked a lot. Um, uh, where Matthew McConaughey was, I don't want to give away the uh, you know the situation, but, but there was a line I, if you remember about um, Charlie Hunnam's character investing in parachutes um, mm-hmm. that I thought was a really funny line. Uh, the movie is uh, has some slightly problematic racist bits. Um, that I that I that felt a little weird and out of place, um, and kind of like the the tone of that was a little odd. Um, it's just I think it's just British racism. It maybe, but I don't. Not just British people are saying the things. So it's no, but, I get it. But I mean, I, I mean, it's a it's a very British film. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a. You know, I mean, even it stars. I assume I I guess you'd say Matthew McConaughey is the lead. Mm-hmm. Um. But it's otherwise it's a very British film. Yeah, but but and again, I I don't want to, you know, it's just got some problematic parts. But anyway, you know, if I can wrap it up, I I just think that uh, it, it it really feels like a Guy Ritchie movie. It feels like Snatch in a way. Um, it's not as maybe energetic as something like Snatch, but I feel like it it you know you can see the filmmaker that's been missing for like 20 years inside the movie. And I think that it's got good energy. Um, I think that the script is, is smart and clever. I think the way that the story unfolds is pretty fun too. I think the characterization is good. I, I wasn't, I actually wasn't a huge fan of the piece with Colin Farrell. Um, I love Colin oh, really? Farrell and I think he's good in the movie. I think that th- the movie kind of dies down a little bit when he shows up and then it gets a little better after that. Um, but all in all, it's it's a very solid and and, and pretty fun uh, return to form. I you know I did like I liked Colin Farrell, and I think the the part where he shows up has one of the like funniest, most absurd jokes. Uh, where it comes when it comes to that like music video that the like his boxing mm-hmm. students are, have released, like it's very strange, and it really made me laugh. But um, yeah, I I liked him fine. Um, I don't think there's anything too much that I would complain about this movie. I, I feel like it's, you know, like a grown-up Guy Ritchie movie. Like, I don't know if I could, if I rewatched Snatch now, I don't know that I'd be a big fan of it. Just because, it, you know, it's that early 2000s, like, everybody's a fighter and whatever. I mean, Brad Pitt's character, I never really cared for anyway. The one you couldn't understand any. That's the one mm-hmm. where you can't understand anything yeah. he's saying, right? Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, and it feels like that, uh, I like that, you know, um, you know the double cross aspect of it, and the the kind of mystery that's unfolding. And I, I just, it was a good time. I don't, I don't know that it's particularly memorable. You know, as in something that's you know gonna have a cultural impact, like something like Snatch did, or even if you want to consider Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels before that. Um, 
but it is a very, very solid film. And I, I had a good time with it. And, uh, I think there's not really a weak link in the cast. Um, you know, I, I'm not terribly sure what, uh, um, Jeremy Strong's character was doing a lot of the time, but I, I don't think that that's really, um, I think there, there may be one or two, too many characters, uh, to, to totally follow everything 100% to the letter. And then I don't really know what's happening with like the meta thing at the end with Hugh Grant. Yeah. At the Miramax um, studio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I don't have a problem with any of it. I, it was fine to me. I mean, it was great. Um, well, I say fine and great, but it was a, it was a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, I don't know that there's anything too culturally significant in it, you know, from Guy Ritchie. I think it's a very competent Guy Ritchie film and it, it was way better than I was expecting. You know, an early January or mid January release for a, a film by a known filmmaker is never really a good sign. Right. But this one, this one really surprised me. This one and Bad Boys for Life last week really surprised me. I don't know if 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 there's like a, a goal to try to reclaim January with these, you know, kind of you know pretty good action movies. But if this continues, I'm, I'd be fine with it. Yeah, I, and I wonder if too if if maybe it's it being in January is a product of not knowing how to sell the movie as well. Because um, because I do think that this movie is a bit of a. Um, I don't know that it's being marketed as what it is because it's certainly not an, really an action movie, I wouldn't say. Um, uh, I, I think it may fall into that genre, but there's not a whole lot of action in it. Um, it, it really is kind of a twisty kind of, you know, again, like a drug kingpin type uh, type story. And, um, it, you know, again, I, I think the, the script of the movie is the driving force behind it in, over anything else. Um, like I said, I think that I think that it's a little over directed at times. I don't always love like the like the writing on the screen um, and and things like those kind of touches. I don't know how you felt about that. Yeah, I wasn't crazy about it. What was that? Um, am I thinking of the right thing? Where it was like all of a sudden it was twenty twenty three. Am I thinking of something else? I think you God might be because there was something like they put up a date that said twenty twenty three. Fuck, maybe I'm thinking of some TV show I watched, but yeah, but but again, like like that or like the um the random thing where where Hugh Grant is introducing like a movie and they show like the film camera loading up and stuff like that. That kind of stuff I don't I did not love. I wish that that it would have stayed a little bit straightforward forward from a directorial standpoint. Um, I, I understand that that's just Richie being Richie, probably. But yeah, that's like that. That's all. It's like like the same stuff you're gonna get with Edgar Wright. I mean, it's just part of the part of the whole package yeah but but again i surprised by how much fun i was having watching the movie and um like i said there were a couple parts that lost me a little bit i, I do think i you know the, the same colin farrell thing that you liked i didn't love um as well as the ensuing eddie marzen thing that happens in the movie um i also wasn't a huge fan of um but there's some good dark humor in here um for fans of the c word you get your money's worth uh which is uh always funny to watch in a theater full of uh like older people to see if anyone kind <laughs> of i mean it's again it's again it's very british that's very a very british. british word yeah and then eddie marsan has kind of a uh really vulgar <laughs> vulgar way out of the film mm-hmm. um 
Yeah. Uh, yeah, but but uh but yeah, a, a lot of fun. I think that uh fans of of Guy Ritchie's previous work kind of wondering where uh where that guy has been will be um no pun intended. <laughs> uh, uh I think we'll be we'll be really pleased, honestly. Look, I mean again, it's not the thing that I told um uh our friend James was that like hey, it's it's a it is a solid Guy Ritchie film. It is nothing more and nothing less. Um, if if you're a, if you're a fan of and I saw a lot of other reviews say if you're not if you're not a Guy Ritchie fan, it's probably not going to do anything to win you over. But if you are a fan and you are and you do like kind of like you know that that sort of and I, you're right, it is a very British movie. And if you like you know that British sensibility with with the style and um, and kind of. Uh, clever screenplay writing um, that that you would get with that kind of movie. I think you will leave uh, pleasantly surprised. Yeah. What's your grade for the gentleman? I give it a solid B. Same here, solid B. I again, like I said, I had I had way more fun than I thought I was going to, and uh, it's always a nice surprise when that happens because I didn't really know anything about it going in, and that's again, that's another rarity. Mm-hmm. I, again, I, I really think maybe it, it boils down to marketing. I think it was this movie has been very poorly marketed because uh, I honestly thought with the logo and with um, some of the commercials that it was like a Kingsman movie or something like that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. I don't want another Kingsman movie, but we're getting it. So yeah, the King's Man. Yeah. Uh, God fucking stupid i never uh, saw the second kingsman movie but i've heard it's it's stories. bad it's bad <laughs> they're both bad and and i don't get it like it, it's i don't know i, I just... mean the, I, the thing i i don't remember a ton about the first one other than not liking it i do remember that it literally ends on an anal sex joke <laughs> <laughs> yeah the first one does yes um i just think matthew vaughn is thinks he's way more clever than he actually is um i don't know Anyway, let's move on to our next movie, Color Out of Space. You have got to do something about that dish. I am literally hemorrhaging clients. Should be working, sweetie. I just checked it this morning. No, I'm scarbling the fuck out of everything I say. Nate. Nate, are you listening to me? You know, I did everything I was supposed to do. I followed every fucking rule in the book. In the end, they still fucking taste like shit. You know what? Fuck that. Okay. Coming up. You know what? Okay. Stop it. Stop it. <clears throat> Slam dunk. You know I Just do something about that dish. <clears throat> All right. Do you know what I'm, um, I, I, I'm going to go and lie down? <clears throat> just Fuck fix that. that dish, okay? <clears throat> Yeah, I think it's a good idea, sweetie. This is a, uh, a another in the long line of late period Nicolas Cage um, sort of freak out movies, I guess I would call them, mm-hmm. where you're just kind of expecting Nicolas Cage to do his trademark, like kind of lose his mind sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, again, this is this is based on an H.P. Lovecraft story, so there's a bunch of opportunity for shit to get weird for uh, Cage to uh, lose his shit at, and it happens. What do you know? Um, but anyway, what did you think of Color Out of Space? Yeah, uh, so this was this is an interesting thing because it is, um, it, I, don't, I don't know too much about the story, and I missed the documentary, but, um, but uh, it's directed by Richard Stanley, who's a South African director who famously um, was making a, a, the island of Dr. Moreau 
mm-hmm. and uh, and got fired like a week into shooting, and essentially like hasn't made a feature film, uh, narrative film since, and that was in like 1996. So, yeah, that was uh, finished by John Frankenheimer, I believe. That's right. Um, and I don't. Have you ever seen that movie? I have not, but I've heard it's a. It's... That movie is a fucking bonkers trip. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I've heard, and uh, and so they've made a documentary about Richard Stanley's vision of that movie and, and everything that happened, um, which I, I am interested in seeing. But um, you know, it is an H.P. Lovecraft adaptation, um, similar to Island of Doctor Moreau, and um, you know, uh, that's that's not Lovecraft. That's H.P. Oh, Wells. That's what I'm. I got confused. This age. Go fuck yourself, Cody. I know. Anyway, um, so, uh, the you you are correct in saying that it is the it is one of many new uh, Nicolas Cage freakout moments. Um, <laughs> I, I I I hesitate because okay, so I don't know if you've seen like for example Mandy. Um, no, I haven't watched the Nicolas Cage movie in a while. I know they've I, I've heard lots of people like Mandy. Um. God, I don't remember the last Nicolas Cage movie I saw. I don't, I don't, I don't like Mandy at all. Uh, okay. I, I, I can't believe that. I, I honestly can't believe that people are convinced that it's a good movie. I will say this: I think that this is this is the kind of Nicolas Cage that is like right on the cusp of being too much, but honestly, actually works a little bit in terms of his going craziness. Um, because a lot in a lot of cases, I don't think he really. I mean, in this movie, he he when he starts going crazy, he slips into this really strange accent, um, and, and attitude that I found like like the right kind of weird. I, I wasn't put off by by the weirdness, and I didn't feel like it was too much. And I think that's partially because I think the other movie or the other parts in the movie, he's playing it relatively straight. Um, and um and and I think that uh, that that it makes sense in the context of the movie of of what yeah and it's really hard to describe what the movie is other than sort of a um you know essentially something lands and then uh, and then people are sort of drawn to a crazy color um, the, the the movie seems to think has no like description yeah the, the, well the idea in the in the HP Lovecraft movie is that it's it was a color that had never been seen before. Yeah, I mean that's a you know I mean obviously that's um, just the written word, right? And you that's really hard to interpret. Um, yeah, you but know, it's it's very much just a pink purple. It's like pink purple, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I there is there are some elements of the movie that I feel really work. Um, I think that as a body horror, um, it, it's it's very effectively weird and creepy. Um, there's a moment where two characters sort of fuse into one another <laughs> yeah and it's fucking gross <laughs> like it's it's just really gross looking it's it's i feel like it was um i mean i assume it's practical effects right uh i i don't i i guess yeah i mean there, I some think of it at least well yeah i think that i i think it's probably just practical effects with makeup there um mm-hmm. i don't think it's um there may be a, a time later on where it turns into cgi but yeah, and I think that the, the body uh, the body horror elements of it, and just kind of like the the sort of possession kind of you know people not realizing what they're doing or being possessed by something or some, or being drawn to a force. Um, there's a lot of great, I think, gross out, kind of like gross out or shocking or 
um, or, um, or, or crazy moments like that, that I feel like are, are really, really effective. Um, I, I think that there's a couple of, um, uh, parts that don't work as well. Um, I don't, I don't really care for the, um, like the water surveyor character. I think that's kind of a worthless <laughs> character. Um, uh, and also the Tommy Chong's character is pointless they, as well. sh- they, they shot it at tommy chong's house like they just knocked <laughs> on his door i was let's yeah the the water surveyor character is like an adaptation of the the book's narrator um i was reading a little bit about the it's not a book it's a short story um where that that guy tries to figure out what happened um what happened after this all occur occurred mm-hmm. so that he's like part of it is not really that's not part of the original story and it kind of doesn't really make any sense. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, and I think for me, I, I was, I was actually way more on board because I think it, it, if you're, if you know, I, I haven't read any of Lovecraft stuff, but I, I think that, you know, based on what I know about Lovecraft and those types of stories, it feels like the vibe is pretty, pretty. And this is what I've been reading from other people who have, Red Lovecraft is that the vibe is pretty spot on for what Lovecraft represented and and what a Lovecraftian story is supposed to be, um, and 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 one of the better adaptations of a Lovecraft story that I've that I've apparently what people have been saying who have read that. But um, you know, I, I think that the and I I think one of the reasons I like the first I don't know two thirds of the movie is because I I think that it is rooted in um in a bit of uh not reality but but. Um, it's not too over the top at that point. And then I think the last third of the movie, when things start getting a little um, trippier, is where I kind of lost a little bit of interest, like maybe the last 15 minutes or so. I, I was I really lost interest. Um, that being said, I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. And I think that, like I said, it is the right kind of and the right amount of Nicolas Cage crazy that I think it's a fun performance. Uh, and I think that when he's doing that and going 90 miles an hour the whole time, it's too much. I think that this is him kind of peppering in the slowly going crazy thing um, to, to a point where I kind of enjoyed it. So I, I, I was pleasantly surprised by um, by me ending up thinking that the good outweighed the bad. Yeah, I, I don't really have a very strong opinion of it one way or another. Um, I, I'm... You know, I've never really read Lovecraft. I mean, I know the Lovecraftian themes of body horror and sort of like ancient evils uh, are, you know, pretty well-known tropes throughout, you know, film and uh, um, storytelling. It's um, it just seems like it's, uh, you know, maybe a little out of time at this point. Um, You know, I mean, this story is from the 20, you know, the story is almost 100 years old at this point. So, you know, maybe it feels like it might um, have been a little adapted to death uh, and not, you know, on its own, but kind of this reminds me of um, not that the movie was was great or anything, but the John Carter, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just it's something that's been around for so long that people have taken inspiration from it and it doesn't um, necessarily feel original uh, just because of the the fact that it's been kind of peppered across other things like, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, I was reading that Stephen King's Tommy knockers is supposedly kind of based on this, like it's Mm. inspired by color out of space. And there's been other stuff too. Um, 
you know, uh, Annihilation really springs to mind. Yeah, yeah, that's a good comparison. Um, you know, it's kind of a, uh, um, you know, it, it feels sort of like the same thing. Like, I don't know that that's a direct inspiration, um, but it, it feels like it's, like I've already seen it before. And, you know, it's not, it's not bad. It's just, um, you know, I, again, I wasn't really on board all the way at all with um, kind of the, the eccentricities of the characters even before shit started going down. Because, uh, like, Nicolas Cage has a weird, like, early freakout about tomatoes. <laughs> and yeah, then, and he, like, has a, he has some alpaca-related meltdowns as well. Yeah, and then the, the film act literally opens with the, like, teenage daughter trying to cast a spell. That was... that. I don't know what that was. <laughs> I don't get it. I don't get it. Um, I think it was... I think it was something... It, I mean, I know it had to do with the mother, um, but... Right. Um, yeah. But it was just a weird weird for the sake of being weird um is how i felt and the the idea that this surveyor just sort of walks around and yeah i i don't know it's fine um the tommy chong stuff i didn't really care for i um, I, I think i should also say too as well that that it is i think it is a b movie by design as well i don't think that this oh is, yeah, yeah yeah this is anything trying to like you know set the world on fire i, I think i think you know it sets out to be a b movie yeah, I mean it's a VOD film. Um, you know, it, this is like the quintessential modern day VOD film. Like mm-hmm. there's people you recognize in it, but it's not, you know, it's not going to be that great. I know it's playing at some theaters around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, Alamo Draft House um, had some screenings of it, but yeah. Um, I, I, again, I, I feel like I, I've kind of seen it all before. It's not. A, I don't think it's bad. I don't think it's great. I don't think it's anything other than fine. Yeah. I mean, again, I I think that I I really was uh, on board with just kind of the eerie vibe and tone of the movie, and I think that again, like I think that the body horror stuff was like legitimately horrific. Oh yeah, that stuff was gross, but I was like, ooh. Uh, I do think though that the the family doesn't quite. Um, I always wonder, like in these films where like all of a sudden the supernatural happens, like when people don't react hard enough to it, mm-hmm. it takes me out of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like oh you're these two people got merged together into one being and they're writhing in agony, and everyone's like it's gonna be okay. It's like <laughs> what, what do you mean? <laughs> Some fucking crazy nut like <laughs> devil shit just happened. All right, what's your grade for Color Out of Space? I give it a B minus. I'm gonna recommend it. I think that like I said, uh, it works just well enough to. Um, to to get me on board, I was honestly way more on board until it starts getting trippy, weird towards the end, and then I just kind of stopped caring. Um, like once, like the like the the younger brother type stuff starts happening, um, I, I was less and less on board. But I still would recommend it to anyone looking for like a solid B movie experience. Yeah, I'm gonna agree with you. A B minus seems fair. I don't think it's. I, I think it's if you're if you know what you're getting into, and I think by this time in 2020, a Nicolas Cage movie, you know what you're getting into. Mm-hmm. You know, you're going to get like the unhinged, you know, freak out scenes and probably some some uh, craziness that's not cage related, but still revolves around him. So B minus for me. OK, let's move on to our last movie, Speed of Life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Hello. Who Who are you? 
June? June? I'm here. Yeah, I think you better see this. Is it safe? Honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure, but I, I think you better see this. Excuse me. Hello. Are you there? Whoa, whoa. Where's the room with the least amount of valuables? Now, I don't know anything about this, Cody, so uh, I'm going to leave this all to you. What did you think of Speed of Life? Yeah, well, I did want to, I wanted to give a little bit of attention to, and I want to honestly start doing this maybe a little bit more, just in really brief spouts uh, of, of smaller movies that you can catch on VOD services um, that are coming out. Um, you know, sometimes you don't want to see what's in theaters or there's nothing good playing at your local art house, or maybe you don't have an art house. Uh, so sometimes, you know, you can, uh, find some hidden gems uh, that are released on VOD. So this is a movie that, um, I, I, I wish that it had, it did something with, um, with its premise because its premise truly is just a premise and it's and it's like kind of like an excuse to jump into a, um, a, a a pretty standard love futuristic love story. So basically, the gist of the movie is um, the movie opens in 2016 um, on the day that David Bowie died. Um, Speed of Life is the name of a David Bowie song. So anyway, this woman is uh, the the main character who's played by um, um. Allison Tolman, uh, who was on Fargo, um, essentially the the idea behind the movie is that um, on the night that David Bowie dies, she's getting into an argument with her boyfriend, um, which is made worse by the passing of David Bowie. And the passing of David Bowie ends up ripping a hole in time and space, and her boyfriend <laughs> essentially disappears. And then it cuts to 24 years down the line. Um, where Allison Tolman's character is now played by Anne Dowd, um, who I guess most people would know from her TV acting, but she's also done a lot of film acting. Um, very good actress, by the way. Um, but uh, it goes to her in the future, and it's this futuristic, like, once you turn 60, um, you're into forced retirement, and they shuffle you off somewhere. And anyway, um, the uh, the guy f- shows up when she's 60, and then they interact. Um, you know, she hasn't seen him in 24 years. He... Uh, floated through space and time and there's no real mention of david bowie after that it's 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 (laughs) you know it's a it's such a weird premise that that kind of goes nowhere like at one point they they mention like loving david bowie and like they both have like a ziggy stardust uh necklace on um and i and and, you know it 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 tells a story you know the writing of it is okay It, it feels like it feels like a you know, like a, a film that's early on, or I don't, I, I don't quite know if this is this filmmaker's um, first movie. Um, I'm, I'm checking that right now. Uh, her name is uh, Liz Manishill. Um, and it, and it very, and it, you know, it, it, I think it does feel like a first film. If it's not her first film, it's, it's probably one of her first films. I'm, I'm checking on that I, now. But I'll, I'll look it up. You can keep talking. But yeah, um, yeah, it looks like it's her second feature film um but um yeah i i uh i just wish that you know it would have done something to deal with or talk about 
or cope with or use someone, you know, you know, using the loss of someone to explain something or or even feel like a tribute to David Bowie, which it doesn't. Um, and like none of his songs are used um, in the movie, which that could have been another opportunity. And I get that it's an indie film and clearing those movies is probably close to impossible um, with a low budget. But, you know, I, I, it essentially tells a story about, you know, you know, love and loss. And and there's a there's a really uh, terrible B story involving um, um, the daughter of of the of her love interest and. And um, it just, just never pays off that whole um, storyline. And there's some stuff about, you know, loving yourself. And I, I don't know. It just it, it never comes together. And I wish it did um, because I think that the premise is interesting enough to be like, oh, that, that sounds weird. But the lack of relation to anything David Bowie related or having that pay off in any way um, ended up making it feel like slightly gimmicky. Yeah. Okay. What's your grade for The Speed of Life? I'll give it a C. Um, I, I don't. I don't think it's a bad movie by. Uh, ter- well, I should say I don't think it's a terrible movie by any stretch. Um, it's competently made. There's some pretty decent writing in the first part of it, um, b- but then I think that it's futuristic and, and sci-fi ideas um, really are atmosphere and, and, and feeling more than anything. I, I don't think it has any. I don't think it has a ton to say. Um, which is unfortunate, um, especially with a premise like that. I, I wish that it would have done something because I, I admittedly like the premise, but um, it, it it goes nowhere. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week. Next week, I don't really know that there's anything that we're going to be um, seeing. I'm not sure what your schedule is. It's Super Bowl weekend, so it's usually uh, a little slower. Yeah, I, I do have a screening of the rhythm section. Yeah, um, I do too. So uh, maybe so, we'll cover that. That's yeah, Blake I, Lively. Yeah, I plan on going to rhythm section. Um, I know that uh, Gretel and Hansel also opens. I don't know. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, Jared. I don't know what that is. <laughs> um, I, I don't know if is it. It looks like a horror film with uh, uh, Sophia Lillis from It. Okay. Um, but I'm really not sure. I, again, I don't know anything about it either. So yeah, I think so. It, it is like you said, Super Bowl weekend, and, and some. Things that aren't, you know, and it's pre um, Birds of Prey, um, which is the following week, mm-hmm. um, which will be interesting to I, you know, I, I am seriously interested to see what the hell that movie is, um, because, you know, there's there's parts of it that are encouraging, like the fact that it's rated R and within that DC universe. And I, and I appreciate that they're kind of going for <coughs> that. On the other hand, I don't think that the trailers look particularly great. Um, and uh, I don't know. I, I don't know. How to feel about that one? I I'm very curious about it too because I haven't the trailers haven't haven't blown me away, but it, it does have a pretty decent cast, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know rated R, and it's it seems to be pretty uh, out there. You know, like it doesn't look like it has any sort of um, like there's nothing you can really compare it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm I'm very curious as to to how this this movie works, but, um, I, you know, cause I think obviously Margot Robbie was one of the best parts of suicide squad. Um, you know, high praise. For, <laughs> well, you know, it's, um, yeah, I mean, there was, she was the only one that was making it out of that one alive, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the Harley Quinn character is interesting and I think you can do interesting things with her. Um, and I do like the idea that you're that you've you know the idea of like the antihero um, I think is an interesting thing to play off of. Um, I just don't 
I, I don't know. It feels it feels like it. I just feel it in my bones that it's not going to work. But I, I hope I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, there's nothing. There doesn't seem to be a more popular comic book character right now for DC than Harley Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I'm not counting the Joker. Have you seen fuck. any of the uh, the DC Universe show? No, I haven't. I think was it you that was telling me or someone else that it's that it's actually pretty good. Yeah, it was it was me. It's it's uh, it is pretty good and it's super vulgar. Um, and very adult, um, but it's it, and it's you know the people behind it are comedy writers, so um, it's it's pretty funny too, and takes a lot of uh, you know a lot of funny like comic book character jokes. But um, yeah, I, it's 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 been interesting to see you know how how they are managing to salvage um, the, the whole Suicide Squad debacle because that that movie could have broken DC. I mean, just you know. <laughs> The, the, it made so much money, though. I know, yeah. but it, but but it was so bad that they're literally doing it over again. <laughs> uh, you know, so um, yeah, and and maybe this is a good springboard for James Gunn's Suicide Squad, and maybe that is. I mean, you know, I have more faith in that than I do anything else currently going on with DC. So you know, I don't know. Yeah, I, when is that supposed to be released anyway? James Gunn's Suicide Squad. Yeah, uh, I think next year. God, it seems like it's been filming forever or been whatever in production forever. Yeah, um, uh, August 6, 2021. Fuck, that's a long time. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, we'll uh, we'll cover um, what's it called? The Blake Lively thing. Yeah, we'll cover the Blake Lively thing. Rhythm, whatever. The rhythm, rhythm section. section. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, if you want to reach us, you can email us at podcast at cinesnob.net. Find us on Twitter at Cinesnob, Facebook, Cinesnob Critic. Um, again, we have another podcast, ReMCU. Um, three episodes currently now. If you haven't heard them, they're new to you. Um, anything else before we go, Cody? No, and, and we'll have um, we'll have some other uh, reviews of smaller uh, independent movies as well. Um, I think I might be talking about one called Jose. Uh, next week um but uh yeah i, I just want to do that that was it actually there was also a suggestion from um a, another friend who uh hinted that you know having some alternative smaller movies or vod stuff might be a, a good idea and i agree so uh yeah and and, and, and again if you want to check out speed of life you can rent it for like four bucks on amazon or youtube or those kind of things so um you know want to highlight the alternatives as well as your big cinema pictures yeah yeah for sure, for sure. Um, okay, on that note, I'm Jared Kingery. I'm Cody Viafania. Thank you for listening to this Cine Snob podcast. To read reviews, interviews, and more, visit cinesnob.net. See you next week.